And Merry Christmas, everybody. So good to have you all here. If you're new around this place, my name is Matt Brown. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad to have you with us. And you just need to know, I love Christmas season. Now, I know not everybody's always told about Christmas, but can you guys just give it up if you're excited right now that Christmas is here, that we get to celebrate. And if you're not so excited, we totally understand because there's some legitimate reasons why you might not be excited about Christmas. So keep that in mind. Um, Thanks for turning that off. You're driving me crazy. If you have flashing lights on your person, will you turn them off, please? Because you're freaking me out out there. There's a problem with a church that likes to have fun. We like to have fun all the time. Anyway, that's awesome, guys, just so you all know. Um, so we know that some, for some of you, um, Christmas is not the easiest time of the world, but we hope that this morning brings you just a little bit of joy in the middle of all that. And I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. Um, I love the fact that, you know, we cook cookies, we set up stockings, the kids are around, family are around. I love all that. But you know this, sometimes not everything goes perfect with Christmas. Last year, I told you if you were around, I made my... My daughter and I, Megan, made a big deal about the fact that we went to a real tree after years of a fake plastic tree. We went real and all the real people in the room went, heck yeah, you're doing it right because some of you believe in that. Here's the deal. This year we went back to the fake tree because I forgot to go get a new one. And here's the thing. If you wait too long, if you wait too long, then you can't get in. And so we also know so not everything always goes right with Christmas. Um, you may, may have walked in here and wondering, why is it so extra smoky in the room this morning? Did you all notice that? Because our smoke machine went into overdrive, the fire alarm has been set. So it's a wild morning. Um, But in the middle of all that, we love, we love, love, love Christmas. Now, here's what you need to know. Some of you may be thinking about Christmas and you're super excited. Some of you may think about Christmas and you think, oh, there's some things that are just bumming me out about Christmas. But there's people in our world that they just don't like Christmas at all. In fact, you might say they hate the whole idea of Christmas. And a, a couple years ago, um, some billboards went up across our country. And here were the billboards that went up. Now, promise me you're not going to get mad at anybody when I read this to you. But these billboards said, you know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. Let me read that to you again. Imagine coming out of the Lincoln Tunnel in New York and you see this billboard on the left side of the road. You know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. As if, you know, the Christmas story, there's not reason to it. Now, here's what's so interesting when it comes to these kinds of things. And this sign was obviously put up by the American Atheist Society for Reliable Thinking or something along the way, that way. Um, What happens when that goes up in our world where people make statements like this, Christians get so bent out of shape. And I just want to encourage you, if you're a Christian, you do not need to be bent out of shape about anything because we can stand on what we believe even if people question it. When this sign went up um, in our country a couple years ago, um, Christians started like posting or planting crosses all around these signs that to say, ah, we won up you, right? And maybe you feel that you walk through a holiday or through a department store and someone says you happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas and you get all bent out of shape because you want it to be about Christmas, which is good for you, but you want everybody to believe what you believe. I just want you to know you don't have to get bent out of shape about this kind of stuff at all because we can stand firm enough on our faith that we don't need to get weird when other people don't agree with our faith. And wouldn't it be refreshing if instead of getting mad, Christians just said, you know what? It's fair that you think that way, but we have a reason for why we believe, right? That's a big deal. Now, I want to say this this is where we're going this morning. When it comes to a sign like this, now leave this up just for a minute, Scott. When it comes to a billboard, a sign like this, where somebody questions, 
what we believe as Christians. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, I love that sign, that's fair. And you read this, can I ask you a question about thinking it's just a myth? Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered if this is true? When someone says, hey, it's just a myth, have you ever wondered if it's true? Now, you wouldn't say that in church, and you wouldn't say that publicly, and you certainly probably wouldn't say it around Christmas time if you're a church person, because we're surrounded by little nativity scenes and plastic baby Jesus with pretty lights on him, right? And there's music everywhere, and it's the most wonderful time of the world, and we don't ask these kind of questions in church. But at some point, at some point, You just need to know, most of us, when it comes to the Christmas story and the whole faith story of Jesus, we ask the question, is this real? And for some of you, you've never heard this talked about in church. Because it's so much easier when it comes to our questions about faith to say, do not look over there. Don't look in that direction. Don't think about those things because it's just easier just to believe and not know why you believe for faith's sake. And you need to know if you have those questions, you're the best place in the world. And when it comes to the Christmas story, think about it. Wise men and angels, angels showing up to women, stars aligning in the sky. Maybe you've never really thought about it, but you should. And maybe you've thought the question, all right, in light of everything else, why is this particular story even in the Bible? Why do we even need it? Why do we even need to talk about a virgin giving birth to a baby? And what do you do with that? And for some Christians, this would be the answer to that. And I know some of you are already a little uneasy because we're even talking about this in church, but these are real questions we run into in our faith. And some people would say when it comes to the story of Christmas in the scriptures, they would say the story, the story of Jesus's birth is important because it gives credibility to everything else he taught. Now here's what we believe as Christians, at least a lot of us believe as Christians, is that when Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection, and then he died and he rose from the dead and he pulled it off, that's enough for us to say Jesus is the savior of the world. Because that was a tangible thing people saw him do. So if you can predict your death and your resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to do whatever you said. And that's challenging to believe in itself. But we know so many people witness this. When it comes to the Christmas story and the stars aligning, what do we do with that? Not to mention, a lot of us grew up with this whole idea of we have Christmas and Santa Claus and Mama and Mama wanted me to believe and then Grandpa wanted me to believe and Grandpa gave me 50 bucks at Christmas. And so I said, Grandpa, I'll believe you just keep giving me the 50 bucks. That's such a good thing. And what do we do with it all? And for those of you that are new to this idea of the scriptures, which that's always someone in our place is, I want to introduce you to a man named Luke. And Luke was a physician in the first century. He was not a Jewish person, but he was a physician. He was a Gentile and he became a follower of Jesus. And this brilliant man left apparently his um, practicing of being a doctor and he decided to figure out the story and the account of Jesus' life from the beginning and to the end. And he had a friend. This is so cool. He had a friend that he wanted to make sure his friend understood the story of Jesus as clearly as possible. And so Luke, and this is like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's Luke in that you know, um, lineup. It's, it's the third book of the Gospels in the New Testament that give us the historical life of Jesus. Luke says this. He says, many, 
like a lot of us, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. There's lots of people, not just me, not just Matthew, not just Mark and John, but many people decide to sit down and figure out the orderly account of Jesus' life. And what you need to know is when Luke writes this, it's like 15 or 20 years after the resurrection, And the church is small and it's growing, but it's still small. And he's looking around, he sees all these people, including his friend, that they don't understand the clear picture and story of Jesus. They've just heard fragments of it. And Luke wants people to know. And so Luke would say, yeah, I'm one of many. Because Matthew wrote it and Mark wrote it, John wrote it. Oh, and Fred wrote an account and Paul wrote an account and Mary and Susie, they all wrote an account. So here's what you need to know. We have four accounts that have been saved through history, antiquity, and they've been verified. And here's what's just such a cool thing if you're a history buff. We have more documentation about the life of Jesus than any other ancient figure in history because it's reliable. And so Luke goes on to say, "Just, just as they were handed down to us, the story of Jesus, by those who from the first were, I love this word, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke says, listen, I didn't get this third hand. I'm not like the fourth generation to understand and hear the story of Jesus. And, and you know this, I said this a couple weeks ago if you were here, that when anytime you want to make up a legend or a myth, you have to wait until an entire generation dies of whatever event happened to turn it into a myth, and typically two generations. Because you need everybody gone that was there for it because they'll dispute your claims when you're trying to make up a myth or a legend. And Luke would say, I have talked to eyewitnesses, people that were actually there. This is not 300 years later, it's 15 years later. And Luke knew all the players. Luke knew Paul. Luke knew John who took care of Mary's mama when she was old because Jesus asked him to. And there's a really good chance, and wouldn't this be a privilege, Luke knew Mary. And he was able to sit down possibly, probably, and say, Mary, tell me everything. Tell me what happened through the entire life of Jesus. And these were eyewitnesses. This morning I was just messing around, looking a few things up. And I wanted to see how many people were left that fought in World War II. How many veterans we have left from World War II. And if I saw the right number, I was surprised. There's still a couple hundred thousand veterans left from World War II. But you know this, most of them in their 90s or their hundreds, and they will not be around very much longer. And that's why so many people have said, we need to document the story of World War II, the Great War, before these men and women are gone. And Luke had a chance to talk to people before they were gone. And Mary and John, they saw it all. And he says, in light of the eyewitnesses, with this in mind, since I myself have I love this, carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Like I have dug in, I've talked to the witnesses. I wanted to know where it started because I saw where it ended. I too, he says, next slide, decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. Now we got to pause here. And every time I read this part of the story, I got to pause because this may be the greatest name in all of history. Is that not awesome? If someone in our church names your next son or daughter, for that matter, Theophilus, you are rocking it. Not to mention he gives credit to Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. If you remember that show, that movie from the eighties, he says, I wrote this out so you would know it's in order. I didn't miss too many details, although there were so many details I couldn't get them all fitted in. I did my best to put it in order so you would know, and you would know with facts and certainty. In fact, he says this, so Theophilus, he writes to his friend, that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Can I ask you a question? If you're a Christian, 
Do you feel like you have certainty in your faith and what you believe? And if you're not a Christian and you're investigating it, do you believe that there's at least the possibility of having some certainty around your faith in God? You just need to know Luke, who would watch his friends die for their faith who would be shipwrecked and brokenhearted and lose so many things and watch despair in the light of the hope of his Savior believe that there was certainty around Jesus. And I know the struggle with this because I've never had to suffer for my faith like the people in the first century church did. So I don't even know what that looks like. And I've had doubts along the way and I've had questions. But Luke would say in light of all I've seen, and there were some hard things I've seen, You need to know their certainty, and I wanted to write it down so you would know first-hand account. And I know part of the story Luke may say is hard to believe, and the angel showed up, but it's hard to believe because you weren't there. But certainty and faith in Jesus is possible. And the reason we can be certain is that the foundation, the foundation of Christianity What we celebrate here, what we base our lives on in this place is something that happened in history. It's not just a teaching. It's not just a miracle. It's the fact that God showed up and people saw it. Literally, when you think about it, history was interrupted B.C. to A.D. by the arrival of Jesus. And people were witnesses and wrote it down and the world changed. And it wasn't because, you know, there was promised wealth and it was going to get easier. In fact, it got harder when people followed Jesus in some ways. But people fought him because they found love and forgiveness and hope. Miracles were great, but that's not why people decided to follow Jesus and give their lives to him. Something happened. He showed up, and then he gave his life on a cross, and then he rose from the grave, and Luke investigated it all. And I just think when Luke's sitting down to write this, this is just how I see it. I, th- I think he thought, I dare not mess this up. I dare not make any mistakes. i got to get this as right as I possibly can, because this is so important. Luke, a non-Jewish person, decides to follow a Jewish rabbi who becomes the savior of the world, gives us this account. And it's like this in this moment, Luke says, ready or not, believe it or not, here I come with the story of Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about where the story began 2,000 years before Luke was ever on the planet and Jesus was ever on the planet. God shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless the whole world through your name. And through you will come something that changes everything. And it will be the savior of the world. If you missed the message a couple weeks ago, it might be really helpful for you to go back and watch. And and we know this as human beings, we mess almost everything up. And that's exactly what Abraham's family and his descendants did. They just kept turning away from God and getting farther away from God. Until it got to the point where almost no one believed. And God was pretty silent For 400 years. In fact, he was inactive for almost 700 years. And when so few people had any faith left, Luke remembers from the stories of what he wrote down from Mary and other people, but probably this one was Mary. When God was so silent, Luke tells us, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and we talked about this, that Elizabeth was Mary's relative. God sent an angel, Gabriel, And we talked about this too, the fact that Gabriel stood in the presence of God and somehow in God's economy, he stood in the presence of God and then he stepped out of that place and he stood in Mary's living room. 
Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And Luke's writing all this down. He's trying to remember all and keeping it straight to a virgin. Pledged to be married to a man. His name was Joseph. A descendant of David. This is what I love when Luke writes this. He says, the virgin's name was, can I just ask you a question? What was the virgin's name? Somebody say it. What was the virgin's name? What was it? Yeah. Yeah, the virgin's name right. was Mary. Can I ask you a question? How do you know that? I mean, this gal, this teenager, from a nowhere place in a nowhere nation, somehow 2,000 years later, we know her name. And she was not famous. She was really not important in her day and age and what she did. And yet all around the world today, on this Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, all around the world, people are going to be talking about the name of Mary. Have you ever just stopped and thought, how in the world is that possible? How in the world did that happen? Um, this is depressing news for some of you. In 2,000 years, no one's going to be saying your name around anything. It's depressing, isn't it? No one's going to remember my name. In 100 years from now, they won't even remember I was a pastor of this church. That's just the way our world works. But 2,000 years later, the whole world's talking about Mary. And some people light candles and pray around Mary. And we think about Mary. She's known as the mother of God. It's this amazing thing. And later in this same chapter, Luke would record a poem and a prayer that Mary prayed in light of what God was about to do in her life. As a result, uh, down the road, this is what Mary said. She said, for from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And if you really think about it, doesn't that seem a little presumptuous? It doesn't even seem a little bit arrogant. And if you know why, she, if you know the reason she said this, it gives some light to it. She's not blessed because she's overly special or she's done something that nobody else could. She's blessed because she was a part of something that was incredible. But she counted herself as blessed and people would call her blessed, which has come true. Back to where we were in the story in verse 28. Um, Luke tells us that the angel went to her and he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You're highly favored in Mary, and you're a nobody in a nobody nation. In fact, Jerusalem was thought of as the armpit in the entire world. And now God has shown up. You're favored. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought of yourself as favored? And you would say, no, I'm from a nowhere place, and I'm nobody. Do you know that that's who Mary was? But because you were made in the image of God, you were important to God, and you're favored by God enough to send his son for you? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be you see mary she knew the old testament stories about angels and sometimes when angels showed up it was really good news like i'm here with really good news and sometimes in the ancient hebrew scriptures it was bad news and now gabriel who stood with god is in her living room and she has to be wondering what you would wonder are you the good witch or are you the bad witch i'm not sure which one you are i'm a little nervous what are you here for but the angel imagine Mary telling the story to Luke along the way or to John along the way? But the angel, she said, he said to me, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Mary, this is really not about Abraham anymore. This is not about Moses. In fact, Mary, you're really important to God. But this is not even about you. This is going to be about God coming to us. Mary, you will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. And just so you know, the close name to Jesus was Joshua. And Joshua literally means salvation or savior. There's going to be salvation for you and the world and your people, Mary. And your son is going to usher that in. She had no idea what that meant. 
Can you imagine her trying to wrap her mind around what in the world that meant? And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high God. And this most high God is kind of secret language for he'll be the Messiah, which simply means he'll be the deliverer. And Jesus is going to come and change everything. Mary, it's happening. And for you, that's a really big deal because you wondered, like, where is hope going to come from? Where's help going to come from? Where's salvation going to come from? And Mary would look at you and said, it's come. Jesus, Joseph, salvation is here. And the angel just leans in hard and he goes after it. He says, the Lord, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. She just leans in and this is so interesting because it's like the angel's going too fast and Mary can't keep up with all this and her head is spinning and you know there's things coming that she can't understand and she's stuck and she asked what every woman would ask in this in this situation and she's like how? How? Now, now because we know this story we know what is going to happen with this whole virgin birth thing. She's asking how as a dad I would be asking how wait a minute Meg, my daughter Meg wait you're going to have a baby and what? How did this happen? Well she just asked how? And she probably assumed when she heard this the first time that the angel meant she would marry Joseph who she was pledged to. And then they would conceive a baby and that baby would be Jesus, but that is not how the story was going to go. She had an idea how this would happen, and he sets her on a correct path, which had to be overwhelming. How will this be? She asked. Since I am a virgin, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High, and I know this is kind of hard to wrap your mind around, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You need to know this about this story. This does not make this story more believable if you're a Jewish person 2,000 years ago where the Christian faith kind of started from, originated from. Because Jewish people despise the fact that pagan religions would believe that gods and human beings would intermarry and intermix and have relationships. They despised that thought. So when this thought is introduced that somehow God is going to make Mary pregnant, I mean, it would not help anyone believe. It would make them be unbelieving, if you will. Keep the slide on here for a second, Scott. When, when the angel says that the power of the Most High will overshadow you, it's the very same language that we're told in the Old Testament that when God's presence would hover over the temple, it would be filled with his glory. And it's this super delicate language that there's not like a relationship intimately and physically between Mary and God. It's just God is going to do something that nobody else can and bring a savior into this world. So which, which we might say, all right, Luke, back up, back up, back up. This is confusing. It's not helpful to us necessarily. And it's really not helpful to the Jewish people in the first century. And it kind of is a little weird. And it's hard to understand. Why would you even put this in here if it's not helpful? Especially especially if you're a skeptic and you may be in the room or online, which is fine. Especially if you're just trying to stir up a movement or a myth or a legend. And Luke would look at you and he said, well, here's why I put it in there. Because I talked to Mary. Or John, or Paul, or you know Peter, and everyone else. And I talked to him. The reason I put it in there is because this. This is what happened. 
And I should have left it out because it would make it more believable and then some pastor 2,000 years later would not have to give the explanation for all this. But it happened. So I I had to put it in because I wanted people to know an orderly account of what happened in God's world and when God came to our world. And then Mary's response was overwhelming. But first, let me tell you what the angel's response was. He says, listen, Mary, in light of all this, no, next slide, no word from God will ever fail. Mary, you just need to know this is hard to believe. It's going to be a challenge for you, by the way. When you're really pregnant, you've got to get on a donkey and go to Bethlehem. And your baby's going to be born in a manger. It's probably good she didn't know all that ahead of time. She might have, you know, who knows what she might have done. But no word of God can ever fail. In other words, Mary, you need to know God can be trusted. You need to know God can be trusted. Your faith is not in vain. No word from God will ever fail. And this is a really big deal for some of us. Set aside all the songs and all the candles and all the sweet things of Christmas. You may feel like if you're a follower of Jesus, man, well, that's great, Matt. But right now, I don't even know where God is. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm alone. My kids aren't doing what they should do. I've lost someone I've loved. Life's not working out in my career. Whatever your thing is, maybe you're a college freshman and you're back on break and you, you didn't think college could be any worse than it was. It was so awful in your experience. You don't know what to do next, but you've been trusting Jesus for a while. I just want you to know. And Mary would want you to know that no word of God has ever failed. God can be trusted. Your faith is not in vain. You do not need to give up in this Christmas season. She gives us something to hold on to. And in this moment, through the trials she went through, and she had a whole bunch that found this, it looked like a few times God had disappeared and then he would come through and she would find over and over that God can be trusted. And I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling this Christmas season with your faith, hang in there. Don't give up. Because Mary believes this, and this is what she says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. I'm in. I surrender. I'll do whatever the Lord tells me to do. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled in me and with me and through me. Any way I can participate. Then the angel left her. And I think this is just a powerful thought. God, I'm yours. And and today's a great day for all of us to say that. God, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do in me, God, I'm surrendered. I've come to a place in my life where I'm not sure what else to do, and I'm yours. And some of you are at that place, you live that way, and you would nod your head, and you would say, this is the best place to be. Some of you are trying to figure it out, and this is the first time for some of you have thought about faith in a long time. You just need to know you're surrounded by people that have come to the point in their lives where the best move for their life is to say, God, I'm yours. Use me. And that's exactly what Mary did. And she gave birth to the savior of the world who grew up to be a man. And maybe you don't know this, but do you know that man, his very first miracle, he walked in to a wedding reception and turned water into wine. I mean, if you don't love Jesus, I don't know how you, how you cannot love Jesus. He walked up to some leopards and no one wanted to ever be around leopards. They were disgusting. They were sent out. They were cast down. He put his hands on a leopard and he healed them. Went to a woman caught in adultery and he said, hey, 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 you shouldn't do this anymore because it's not good for you, but I'm not condemning you. And he protected her and he saved her. 
He would get up in the grill of the Pharisees, the religious people who thought they knew God so well and they were so right about everything and he would just smack them around with his words and he would just put them in their place. It would have been a beautiful thing to see. He approached guys like Matthew, the tax collector, loved this story. Everybody hated Matthew. He said, Matthew, everybody hates you. You're despicable. You're terrible. Follow me. Be one of my guys, Matthew, the savior of the world. Call Matthew to that. And he walked towards the cross. And as a full-grown man who was God, gave his life on a cross and he died for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to validate who he was and what he came to do. And there was miracles and there was teaching and he loved people, but that resurrection changed everything for people like me. People that once were lost like I once was and found God or were found by God like I once had happened to me. And for many of you, and the invitation for everybody, the invitation for everybody in this place online and anyone in the world is God is inviting you to know him personally through his son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin and then went on to do amazing things. But before... Before we get to the amazing things and the death and resurrection of Jesus, we got to investigate and hear the rest of this beautiful story that Luke tells us about this woman who was approached by an angel, a virgin, that would give birth to the Savior of the world. And this is what happens next. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. 